If you didn't almost cry, you're lying. Especially if you have a little girl. Or little girls that aren't so little anymore. And they don't do tea parties. They're in college. Oh, wait, no, that's just me. Sorry. Good morning. Glad to be here. Um, our uh, moving truck is here. So my family is at home unloading our stuff. It's bad, but it's also good that we have stuff. Um, so we're not wearing the same clothes for the rest of the week, so that's good. Um, the entire family made it. Um, I'm proud to announce from Texas. It was closed at times, um, including the dog. He made it. Um, our uh, vet gave us a nice little sedative that made him the most comfortable companion on the trip and the easiest to deal with. He just sort of drooled on himself the whole way. And uh, the uh, children's doctor would not give us a sedative for them. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We would never do that <clears throat> on purpose. And Benadryl doesn't work for my kids. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so happy Father's Day. We're glad to finally be here. Um, and uh, so that's all good stuff. So we're glad you're here today. Um, and uh, today is Father's Day. So before we get into the seriousness of what all that looks like, let's have a little bit of fun. Um, just laughing at dad, um, which is easy to do, right? These are some of my like favorite quotes or anecdotes about Father's Day. I love these. This one is my favorite. It says, I gave my dad a hundred dollars and said, dad, I just want you to go buy something that will make your life better and easier. So he went out and bought a gift for my mom. This seems to be true. You can tell what was the best year of your dad's life because they seem to just freeze that clothing style and ride it out for the rest of their life. <laughs> yep. This one's a little more serious, but I think it's something that we can all relate to. I think Mark Twain actually said this. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 30, I was astonished at how much he learned in 16 years. <laughs> Anybody can relate to that one this morning? Don't have to raise your hand, because we're all here. Whenever one of my kids, and this, is, this could be my quote, but it's not. Whenever one of my kids says, good night, Dad, I silently think to myself, you don't really mean that. Now, some of you are like, oh, that sounds sad. No, it's funny because your kids never stay in bed. Come on. <laughs> Y'all are like, oh, that's terrible. Why would you say that? No, they never. My kids never stay in the bed. Someone's always got something they need. Nixon, my youngest, his favorite thing is to come. I need to ask you a question, but it's never a question. I'm trying to teach him the difference between making a statement and asking a question because they are two completely different things. I need to ask you a question. Okay, there's a bug in my room. That's interesting, but that's not a question. Go back to bed. Ten minutes later, I need to ask you a question. 
No, you don't. You're just prolonging the inevitable. So I want you to imagine with me this morning, as we look at usually something that we talk about at Christmas, but we're going to look at it in a little bit of different light today because it's Father's Day. Now imagine with me, dads and moms too, Imagine if you had to pick someone to raise your kids for you. Like, right now. Who would you pick? Don't tell me out loud. Because you might offend someone that's with you. I don't know. And more importantly, why would you pick them? What qualities would you look for? Someone just got awarded some children, and they have a lot of children. (laughs) Congratulations, Jeremy. (laughs) But what kind of qualities would you look for in the man to be you in the absence of you? As I was preparing this, um, just before we moved, Winnie and I updated our will, you know, just in case. And, uh, so we were having some of these conversations about, you know, like, okay, I don't know if we want that, you know. We're talking about family, you know, and that gets dicey. You're like, do you think they're really equipped for this long term? And you start really thinking about who, what, where, when, why. You start thinking about all the bad things and all the good things. So make that list. What are the qualities that you would look for? I know outside of them having a relationship with, with Jesus Christ and being able to, to continue to raise my children the way I want them to be raised in, in a Christian environment, the, the obvious next thing that would be super important to me is that they would have to be a diehard Florida Gators fan um, to continue to invest that legacy in my children as well. Um, but you start, man, you really start going down the list. And here's what's interesting. If you take that list now that you started to kind of compile in your head, And you take that list and you look at it, and then you look at your life as a dad. How well are you doing for the person that you would pick in your absence? Would you get crossed off the list to replace you because you're not doing the job of the qualities that you're looking for? I think it's easy sometimes as we go through life, we go through the mundane, we kind of, it's in and out, it's just the day-to-day bits of life. Sometimes we forget about the importance of every day, the bits and pieces of life that we go through, and we just sort of assume that we're doing a great job as parents. If you want to know how well you're doing as a parent, take your kids out to eat, and just watch the people around you, how they react. If management asks you to leave, you might want to change some things up. But how well are you doing, dads, with that? Well, this is the predicament that God finds himself in. He's sending his son to earth for a very important mission, for a very specific mission. But he's got to have a home. He's going to be born And he's going to have a mother who's going to be his father. And so we're going to look this morning at the guy that God chose to raise his son. So this morning, if you're a stepdad in here this morning, and you have stepkids, and you think it's bad, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. At least 
Your stepchildren's dad isn't God. Process that one for a minute. You're not my dad. My dad's better than you. You're right. My dad created you. I know. I'm sorry. Turn with me in your Bibles. Matthew chapter number one. Now, typically, like I said, this is something that we look at in Christmas around December. We start looking at the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, Father's Day is one of those times of the year where it can bring about a lot of emotions, different emotions in different people based on your background, based upon what your relationship looks like with your dad. For some of us in here today, it's, a, it's happy memories, it's good times. You remember our dad taking us fishing or teaching us how to throw a ball or, or to play basketball or, you know, to drive a car uh, and all the things that you did. Maybe your dad took you camping a lot. Maybe he taught you how to, how to shoot a deer um, and hunt and fish and swim and just all the things that your dad taught you. Maybe that brings up a lot of happy memories in your life, and you're smiling and thinking about it, and maybe your dad's not with us anymore, and, and that, you know, creates a little bit of a sadness because you think about all the happy times that you have with your dad. But for others of us here this morning, sometimes Father's Day and our relationship with our dads can bring about a, a little different emotion. For some of us, maybe we didn't have a father that was very active in our lives. Maybe if he was, he wasn't a good father. Maybe there's a lot of anger. Maybe there's a lot of disappointment. And things of that nature. Some of us have lived our entire lives trying to gain the approval of our dads, but to always, to seemingly fall short. Some of us in here maybe uh, have been the victim of abuse in the home of some sort. And that can be very overwhelming to live with. Some of us didn't have a father in our home at all. What's amazing, though, is, is, is as you talk to people and you start to unpack the, the issues and the things that they've had in their lives, one of the things that we see like over and over and over again, and in, in, as a pastor, you, you, you talk to people all the time and, and they, they freely share, you know, a lot of their baggage with you. Um, and a lot of times you're like, so what do you got? And you're like, can you give me a minute? Because it's difficult to unpack. But what's often the case is, is people that have had bad relationships with their fathers what they do is they take that bad experience and that relationship dynamic and they transfer it to their relationship with God. 
And they have a very difficult time relating to God in the way that he wants to be related to, in the way that he wants to relate to them, because they take all that negative, and they take the way that that uh, relationship didn't work. They take the disappointment, and a lot of people then, they can't freely accept grace in their life because they, they were constantly a disappointment to their father. So they automatically think that they're constantly a disappointment to their heavenly father. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I mean, we could talk for two days about the possibilities of that. But a lot of people do that once they get saved. They take all of that baggage from their relationship with their dad and they kind of toss it on God and go, okay, this is how we're going to relate. And God doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want to do that. So Father's Day can mean a lot of different things for a lot of us. But there's one thing that's true that in, in the place of every child's heart is the desire to have a relationship with their father. Now let's take a, a few minutes here and let's, let's kind of look at what we do know about the life of Joseph. As we said, God's about to send his son on a mission from heaven. There's much thing that had to be done. The timing had to be right to fulfill prophecy. The place had already been selected in Bethlehem. He was to arrive as a baby by way of a young Jewish virgin. Selecting the right lady was very critical. His conception would be by the Holy Spirit. He would have to grow up in a home. Who was going to be the earthly father? Man, I just, can you imagine that job? What do we know about Joseph that made him attractive to God? Well, the first thing kind of about Joseph is we don't get a lot of background information on who he is. There's not this, this long list of biographical information. He's not really um, a centerpiece in a lot of the gospel narrative. In fact, I bet most of you at Christmas time have a hard time and there's discussion as you're setting up your decorations going, is that a shepherd or is it Joseph? Shepherd, Joseph, shepherd, Joseph. I don't know. It's Joseph is kind of that guy. He's kind of the lost character that's like standing in the back of the manger, you know, who doesn't say a lot. He just has his staff and the nativity and his head's down. And the reason for a lot of that is we don't know a lot about him historically. Other than this, we know that he was from Bethlehem. We know that he was a carpenter or a stonemason, depending on which scholar you talk to. And that he migrated north to the town of Nazareth. And that he had become engaged to a young Jewish girl named Mary. Now, the, the Bible kind of infers that Joseph was probably quite a bit older than Mary. Because we don't see any mention in the Gospels during Jesus' ministry of Joseph ever being present. And there's a lot of times that we see Mary, his mother, but we don't hear anything about the father. In fact, in Jesus' first uh, miracle, when he turns the water into wine in Canaan, they're at a wedding. And it would have been very customary for Mary and Joseph to have been there together, but we don't even, we don't even see him mentioned there. So most scholars infer that Joseph probably had passed away at this point, and that Mary, uh, when Jesus began his ministry, was, was a widow. And in fact, the last mention that we have of Joseph in the gospel narrative is when Jesus is 12 years old and they're going to the temple and that's really the last that we hear about him. So what do we know that we can actually look at? Because you would think, man, this guy's got to be kind of a critical part of the story, right? Jesus is going to grow up 
in his home. But there's a lot of things that we can look at based on the, the events surrounding this that we can see a lot about Joseph's character. Because this is a time of personal crisis for Joseph as well. He's engaged to this young girl who is pregnant with a child that he knows is not his. And you can imagine what a staggering blow that would have been to Joseph to learn that news. But his reactions and the way that he handles this situation and processes everything tells us everything that we need to know about him. Now, the first thing that I think is really interesting about this story is, is God doesn't inform everybody ahead of time. You know, it would have been a lot easier if the angel of the Lord had appeared to Mary and Joseph and said, hey, can we have a sit down? We just have a little talk. I just want to kind of go through some things with you guys, figure out where you're at with this. Okay, hey, I know you kind of like each other. I know there's this kind of, you know, maybe you're working out the deal with, with Mary's father to become, uh, you know, husband and wife. But before you do that, I just want to let you know this is our plan. Okay, first of all, she's going to have a baby. It's not yours, but it's from God, and we want you to help her. Can you imagine? No, no, God didn't do any of that. He didn't set him down ahead of time and get buy-in. He waited to tell Mary the plan until after they were engaged. Now, why is that significant? Well, you have to, number one, understand that in Jewish culture in that time, when you were engaged, you were legally married. It was over. The day you became engaged, you were absolutely legally and spiritually married. That's why in the narrative it says that Joseph was going to divorce her. Right? If they're just engaged, why would he need to divorce her? Because in that day, the engagement was locked. So God waits until Mary is engaged to Joseph to drop his big news. Hey, by the way. And then she has to go and tell her husband, Hey, um, you're never going to believe what happened to me today. And Joseph is, can you imagine that conversation? This angel appeared. Sure it did, Mary. Sure it did. Sure it did. That is the most unbelievable story. Full stop. Don't look all righteous like you're like, no, I totally would have believed it. You would not. I know some of you. You would not. But here's what we know about Joseph and why God picks him. He had moral character. And he had spiritual character, which goes hand in hand. The Bible says that he was a righteous man. A righteous man. And that he demonstrated mercy. And I think this is kind of one of the most, uh, a lot of times we, we don't realize the connectivity that the scripture really has. We just kind of look at things in individual pieces and we, forget, we forget to sort of tie it all together and go, oh, isn't that neat? And we miss out on so much because we look at everything individual instead of as a whole. So the beauty of this is, is, is this. Joseph decides, right? It's his right as the husband of Mary. She's caught in adultery. She's pregnant. It's not his kid and he knows it. So according to the law, Mary should have been publicly stoned. Now, I don't agree with, you know, that. Seems a bit much. 
Um, but that was, that was the culture. She should have been stoned. But instead of reacting in his emotion and in his disappointment and in all the things, you know, that you can imagine that Joseph was feeling, he doesn't do any of that, even though he had the perfect right to do it. It happened all the time. But Joseph decides that he doesn't want to do that, that he wants to deal with the matter quietly and privately. Now, he clearly doesn't believe Mary's story right now. Because he's going to divorce her. He's going to end the relationship. But he's not going to do it in the way that he can. In the way that by law he should. And that's not just like, you know, the government law. This is also, at the time, it's, it's Hebrew law. So instead he decides to do this quietly. He exercises mercy. And don't you think it's kind of interesting that years later in the life of Jesus, that Jesus will encounter a woman who's been caught in the middle of adultery and who's about to be stoned. And what does Jesus do? He writes something in the sand. Can't wait to find out what he wrote. I don't know why the Bible doesn't tell us, but I bet it was awesome. And he stands in front of that crowd and he says, if you're without the first sin, cast the first stone. And he steps in. And demonstrates mercy and grace in that woman's life. And then he tells her to go and sin no more. You see, some of these things early on in Jesus' life were established. You don't think Jesus knew the story? Probably was like his favorite nighttime story. Tell me, that, tell me the story again about the angel. So Joseph demonstrated mercy to Mary. And then... Also in the life of Jesus, we see him at the, with the woman at the well, who also is a woman whose reputation is tarnished, who's kind of finding herself in the same place as the, the adulterous woman and Jesus' own mother at the time. And again, Jesus exercises mercy and grace in these women's lives. Why? Because he saw his own father on earth exercised the same type of compassion and mercy and grace with his own mother as he did to go beyond his own feelings. So Joseph decided that he was going to just divorce her quietly. The next thing about Joseph is he was open to the supernatural. The Bible says that he had a dream. And in this dream, this angel told him, like, hey, it's all good. You know, Mary's telling the truth. Don't be afraid. Still go ahead and marry her. Now, how many of you have ever had a dream that when you woke up, like, it was, like, super real? Okay, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. Let's put it this way. Guys, how many of you have ever woken up in the morning and your wife has hacked off at you about something that you did in a dream? Anybody? And you're like, I, I, I apologize for my subconscious me in your mind that did those terrible things to you. <laughs> my wife has hit me in the middle of the night before. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, that was wrong. And I'm like, what did I do? In my dream, I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> but a lot of times we wake up, right? Dreams seem so real. And I dreamed one time that I went to prison. And when I woke up the next day, I was so excited that I was free. And then I was like, did I escape? 
or did they let me out? What happened? And then I got kind of nervous, and then it, you know, it took me a few minutes. I was like, oh, wait, wait, no, none of that ever happened. But you wake up sometimes, and those dreams seem real. You imagine Joseph, he wakes up from that dream, and he's like, all right. All right, we can do this. You heard what the angel said. It's all good. I'm going to do this. And then, you know, he's standing, to, he gets out of the shower, and he's brushing his teeth, and he's like, wait a minute. Angels? No, that was a dream. But nope. Joseph totally believes it. And he totally buys into it. And what does he do? He marries Mary anyways. And they go on. What I love here is the next thing about him is he was willing to act. He was willing to risk. And the Bible says back through that scripture in Matthew that we looked at. And this, this is, I think, one of the biggest pieces of this. It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did. He acted. You know, a lot of us, God gives us something to do, and then we have to kind of start like putting the plan together, right? We have to make sure we have all the resources in place, that we've allocated enough time and energy and effort. We've cleared our schedule. And we're like, well, I can't do that there. We've got this thing we've got to do. And then we've got that. And then we've got to go out of town for that. Oh, and then there's that. All right, maybe we can have all this ready in six to eight months. All right, God, I'm going to pencil you in the calendar here. We're going to see what we can come up with, work around, right? A lot of times that's how we do. But that's not how Joseph did. Joseph acts. He reacts immediately to what the angel says, and he just goes with God's plan because he has complete trust in what God's going to do. And he did all this based on her word and a dream. Now, I don't know about you. I like to think that I would have done the exact same thing. But I know me. I need a little bit more sometimes than that. Some of you are looking like, no, not me. Imagine that for a minute. The responsibility that he's taken on. And always thinking in the back of your head, was this crazy story true? Is this really true? Is this kid really going to be God's son? Is all this really going to be? No. And we see that Joseph has another dream. And he acts again immediately. The angel comes to him again and says, Hey, uh, Joseph, you you need to get out of here and go to Egypt, or else it's going to be bad. And Joseph immediately takes his family and they just move to Egypt. Now, most of us, we'd be like, Okay, we'll do that. First, we need to go home. We need to get all the things. We left Jesus' pack and play there. We We need to get that. We need to say goodbye to the parents and the family. We need to you know, get our house in order and, you know, get all that done. You know, get all of our stuff. And then, you know, then we'll be ready. Let, let us take care of all these things and then, and then we'll be ready. No. They immediately leave and they flee to avoid Herod's order of execution for all the children trying to find Jesus and trying to kill him. So immediately again, Joseph reacts. He acts immediately on what God tells him to do. And it reminds me of, of another story in Jesus' ministry when this rich young ruler comes to him and he says like, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus goes, great, let's do it. 
come on and follow me right now. And he's like, oh, wait, but first I got to go bury my dad. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Come on, let's go. We have work to do. We've got to get on the mission. You've got to follow. And the guy can't do it. So there's so many things that we see that Joseph did early in the very beginning before Jesus is even born. That began to set the stage of the kind of character and the type of person that he was. And he acted that he believed that he trusted in God. And so he moved when God told him to move. And it's so difficult for us today a lot of times to really wrap our heads around the influence that we have as a father. You know, for a long time, you know, dads have been the, the butt of the joke on TV. And they've been funny. You know, kind of. You know, every dad can't do anything. You know, on TV or in movies. I bet you would be hard-pressed to find a dad in here who doesn't know how to change a diaper like a champ. That doesn't put it on backwards. But we've always seen this, that the, the, the role of the dad in, in our society has been minimized. In fact, for the first time in American history today, in our culture, there are more children today that are born into fatherless homes than there are that are born into homes with both parents. That's a scary statistic. The roles of dad have been diminished, and psychologists tell us that it's super important for there to be both parents involved um, in, in the raising of, of a child because it, there's something that happens there. And it says the women are super important in the beginning, and then dads, we get the teenage years. Woo-hoo. Because before modern society, what happened when children reached, especially the men, the boys, they reached adolescence, what happened? They began to work with their dad. And they began, the dad began to teach them their trade. And they began to teach them and then, and then grow them into manhood to release them. That was the way society worked. That was the way things worked. And if you have, if you have daughters, uh, dads, your daughter's taking cues from, from how you relate to her and how you relate to her mom on the type of relationship that she's going to have with her husband. Hopefully that's not a scary thought for her. You got to take inventory. We got to realize that it's not just a day-to-day mundane. That it's, it's, it's bigger than that. There's more to it than that. That we have to daily, constantly, every day take self-evaluation and make sure that we're investing in the lives of our kids. And Joseph set up such a great atmosphere for Jesus to be, to be raised in because he, he taught him how to love, how to have mercy, how to have compassion, but also how to be righteous and how to move when God tells us to move. How many of you have ever said, like when you were a kid or you were younger, about something that your parents did to you and you go, I will never do that. Go ahead, raise your hand. Show everybody that you're not, they're not alone. I will never do that. I will never say that, right? I will never say that to my kids. My dad had a couple of those that I was like, I, I had that. One of them was this. I'm not going to tolerate that. I hated that word. I didn't tolerate that. And then this one, who I think like every parent at some point says this. You do not want me to turn this car around. <laughs> Dads? My dad used to say that all the time. You not want me to turn this car around. I'd always be like, you're not going to turn the car around. 
You're just going to yell a lot, and then we're going to get scared and stop. But you're not going to turn the car around because you've already invested all this money in the trip that we're going on. So we're going on the trip. It's just a matter of how pleasant it's going to be. And so I I vowed to myself to never say that. And then 10 miles outside of San Antonio, (laughs) on Friday, I regurgitated. Something just fell out of my mouth. And then I started laughing to myself, and I'm like, my kids are probably like, yeah, right, Dad, we don't have a house back there anymore. The only thing you can do is keep going. (laughs) And it just so cleverly just spills out of my mouth. And I immediately was like, no, 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 man, I did it. I swore I would never do that. Why? Because it's like, it's consistency, it's repetitiveness. The things that your parents do, they, it's instilled in you. It's things that, that they begin to soak up and they take root in who you are. Good, bad, and indifferent. And it shows you that sometimes, how many of you have done it then? And you went, I swore I would never do that. Where did that come from? Right? Why? Because it's something that consistently was put into you. And so eventually it's going to come out. And what we have to do is we have to make sure the things that we put in place in our lives for our kids that what comes out of them is good. You know, that word tolerate, I really don't like that word. And when my dad used it back then, it was this like, you know, sort of scary proclamation of if this happens again, then this is going to get progressively worse for whoever's involved in the things that I don't want to be tolerating anymore. But today, we use that word a little differently. It, it's not, I'm not going to tolerate that. It, it sounds more like this. Well, we're just going to have to tolerate that. We're just going to tolerate it. And we become people that we have to be tolerant You know what the word tolerate or to be tolerant really means? It basically means to like wait it out. It means like, I don't like this, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I'll just tolerate it. And so we have a group of people that are going through life tolerating things. And it's just so bleak and awful and everyone's just tolerating and waiting. And there's so much garbage in our world today. My home state of Florida has had a rough week. A really rough week. And with just so much vileness in the world. These poor parents of these that lost this, this child. It, more people are talking about this rather than just surrounding these people and being like, man, this is how tragic. People are like, well, what kind of parents would let their kid be in the water in the first place? Oh, what kind of parents would this be? And people were actually telling these people on social media that they should have never been had kids in the first place, so it's probably good this one's gone. And you're like, what is wrong with you? There's so much vile garbage in the world today. And then we see this awful thing that happened at this nightclub in Orlando with all these people shot. And it's, a, it's another act of, of, of terrorism. Regardless of what the motivation is, it was an act of terrorism that was carried out. Senseless. Hundred people's family and their, their extended people all affected by this. And 50 people lose their lives. And what's getting the most press? 
to two people that call themselves Christians and call themselves pastors saying that they wish there would have been more people in there that would have died. In fact, that we should do that to all of the homosexual people in our country. And so, all of this vileness, all of this just, <sighs> there's not even words to describe it, how awful. The things that people say and the things that people do today, it's awful. And if you think that what they're saying is right, if you think this way, then, you know, we need to chat afterwards for a while. You know, according to some of these people, when Jesus met that woman who was caught in the middle of adultery, he threw the first stone. But that's not who Jesus was. It's not the mission that he came to accomplish, was to point out the obvious flaws in other people's lives, to point out the obvious and to take someone's mistake and just just devour them over that. No, Jesus stepped, stepped in and he, and he exercised the mercy and grace and love. But it was all righteous. Did he not deal with the sin? He absolutely dealt with the sin in each and every one of these circumstances. And God did not call us to be a people that are just tolerant. It's like the church is all of a sudden, we feel like that we're men that are shopping with our wives. And this is what we all are doing. Is that what God called us to? The church has become the waiting bench at the mall, full of men waiting on their wives to pick something out. And we're just waiting through it. Well, we're just tolerating it. We're just waiting for the end to come. We'll just, we'll just tolerate it. We'll just tolerate it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not gonna, that's not who God's called us to be. And on the flip side of the coin, God's not called us to be this either. And that's the beauty that I see in the way that the Bible describes how Joseph handled this very delicate situation. That Joseph exercised mercy and grace, but it was through righteousness. Jesus did the same thing in his life. We deal with things righteously. We deal with things the right way, the correct way. That yes, we correct. Yes, we discipline. Yes, we do all these things. Yes, we try to reach the laws. Yes, we try to point out and change the sin in people's lives. But we don't do that through casting the first stone. We do that through the same reason that you're sitting here. Because Jesus had mercy on you. I'm sure glad that I don't serve the God that these guys are talking about. Because I would have been stoned a long time ago. And all of you too. But we're able to navigate all this. And what we have to do this morning, and it's Father's Day. It's, it's another day that we celebrate parenthood. And it's so important that we begin to celebrate family again. And father and mother and the importance of those two things together. And that we begin to righteously take back our society. And the only way that we can do that is living the way that Jesus has instructed us to live. This morning, as you were thinking about 
the person that would replace you and the qualities and the things that you would look like, you would look at in that person. Take self-evaluation this morning. And ladies, it's not just about dads today. You do the same thing. Think about the kind of woman that you would want to raise your child. If you couldn't be there, what would she look like? What would her qualities be? What would be the things that you would want to see in her? And I know one of the things on my list is somebody that would be patient with my kids. There's a lot of times I'm not that patient. Like driving 17 and a half hours in a car. Your patience wears thin. And you're like, don't touch each other again. And I look at that and I go, I gotta do better at this. There's so much at stake. And when I think, I love how there's so many things that Joseph did very early in this story because we don't know anything else about him. And I think all we need to know about him is how he handled himself in that situation. He did not do what everybody else would have done when he found out Mary was pregnant. That's the bottom line. He exercised righteous mercy and grace in her life. And then he followed what God had for him to do. And as men and as fathers today, if we could do that, you know, God calls us to be the spiritual priests of our homes. That doesn't mean that we're the authoritative dictatorship and what we say is absolute and that's it. And no one else, that's not the way God's called us to be either. God's also told you to love your wife as he loves the church. And that's a lot. And that's a big responsibility. And probably most of us aren't doing very good at that either. What we're supposed to do is that we are supposed to set the example and begin to walk in righteousness and walk in mercy and walk in grace so that our families, so that our kids, so that our wives, they begin to see that and they begin to walk in that righteousness and in that mercy, in that grace with us. And we all begin to march to a common beat into a common. And what happens is all of this garbage rhetoric goes away. Why? Because if it doesn't fit the mold here, it doesn't stick. The week before we left, my son Elijah went to a, to a summer pro camp uh, VBS thing at another church for a day with one of his friends from school. You're like, it's VBS, you know, it's fine. So he comes home, he says, Dad, this guy said this really weird word that I've never heard before today. He's like, what does it mean? And he said the word, and I was like, I do not want to have this conversation today. And when he's like, you got this one right. And it was not a good word. But it was a word describing homosexual people. And I wasn't at a stage in his life that I'm ready to have this conversation. Because I'm trying to define for him what God created him to be right now. For what God created his world to look like, not the mess that he's been born into. And his little mind can't balance this. But no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you try to protect your kids and to put them in this bubble and things, the world is going to shoot darts at them. Things are going to get in. And here's what, here's the difference. Your words only have meaning if through the long term they've seen righteousness and mercy and grace and love live through you. 
that's when they're going to be able to understand how to navigate all these other scenarios that are out there. And believe me, they're beginning to get more. I never thought that the bathroom deal would be such a big deal that I'd have to have to sit down and have a conversation with my kids about the bathroom. I thought that was kind of like a, you know, like pretty easy one there. But not in the world that we live in. And so we've got to be intentional. And dads, we've got to get off the couch watching football and we've got to stop doing all of these other things that we're, that we're too involved in. We've got to get involved in our kids' lives. We've got to teach them a godly example. But before you can do that, you've got to get your heart and you've got to get your life right with God and you've got to get on the right path because you can't teach anybody anything if you're not on the right path. And there's places in each of our lives that we need to get on the right path. Romans eight twelve through 17 says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's kind of harsh. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you uh, received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. That phrase, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba translates Daddy. And as that video that we watched at the beginning shows, everybody's got a father, but not everybody has a daddy. And men, it's time. And women, you too. I'm not just going to let you get a free pass today. It's not Mother's Day. We have to be the fathers and the mothers the husbands and the wives, the parents and the children of God that we've been called to be. We've got to get off the bench of toleration and just waiting for everything to end. You know, in medieval times, they would always have these big cisterns of water and they would store up food. That way, if their castle ever went under siege, that they could last longer than the siege. That the people that were trying to take over their castle would like give up and be like, we got to go get more stuff. We're out of everything. So we better leave these guys alone. So they would build castles with the idea that they could outlast the people trying to attack them because everything they needed was inside. And so many uh, churches today and the people of God were guilty of doing the same thing. We're trying to build these castles that we can kind of go in and, and fallout shelters and we can outlast the siege and we all just get in and lock the gates and go like, oh man, hopefully it'll end soon. That's not who God's called us to be. We're called to be his witnesses. Jesus said, you will be known as my disciples, which is what we're called to be, by the love that you show. And the thing that I want to point out is that Joseph loved, he didn't tolerate. Joseph didn't, oh, you know, you're already this far into it. I don't know who wants to go through a divorce. I don't want to kill her. 
I'll just tolerate her. Nope. Not the way he acted. It wasn't toleration. It was mercy and grace and love all born out of righteousness. And how do we obtain righteousness? It's by relationship with God. Because the closer we get to him and the more that we're following after him, the easier it becomes to follow what he's asked us to do. So the question remains for us this morning. Are we going to sit on the bench of toleration or are we going to take our families back? Are we going to take our society back? Are we going to take our culture back? Are we going to infect in a positive way those around us? Or are we going to just wait out the storm and shake our heads at all the awful things that happen around us? Are we going to continue to let people like some of these people represent the church of Jesus Christ? Or are we going to stand up and truly be his disciples? We'll close with this quote from Billy Graham. I love it. It says this, A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. You see, even though it cost him something, Joseph was willing to set aside all of his feelings when he was faced with this situation with Mary. He put all that aside. And he had the mindset of mercy and grace. And if we could just be like that, we should have Bert Baccarat this morning come up and do the closing song of what the world needs now is love. For those of you who are younger, you don't know who that is, just Google it when you get home. You'll figure it out. It's a nice little tune. But it is. It's what we need. Not just love the way the world is telling us to love. Righteous love that's born out of mercy and grace. And those are two totally different things. What kind of parent, what kind of dad, what kind of mom, what kind of church are we going to be? I already told you I hate the word tolerate. So you know where I stand on it. And I refuse to sit on the bench at the mall anymore. I'll still go with my wife to the mall. I'm speaking of the metaphoric bench. What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of message do we want to send to our community? You know what the stats in our community look like? Family dynamics? It's not sunshine and rainbows, I can tell you that. So who do we want to be? Do we want to be like Joseph? Be like Jesus? Or do we want to be like the Pharisees and the other people that had the stone in their hand? It's up to you. I can stand up here all day, every day, and do this. And if you guys don't do anything, if you don't change, if you don't move, if you don't do, guess what happens? I'm just up here talking for the sake of talking. 
that's not why we're here, is it? You're not here just because you like to listen to me. I'm not that entertaining. We're here to do something that God's called us to do, and that's change the city for Jesus. We have this, we have this small window of time, I believe, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Are we ready to be the husbands and the fathers and the mothers and the church that we have to be to do that? Bow your heads. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Your, your word says that while we were still yet sinners that you sent your son to die, much in the same way that Joseph accepted Mary in the midst of that trouble, God, we ask, Lord, that you would help guide us and teach us and show us the path that we can be everything that you called us to be. God, for those of us in here this morning who, as fathers, we haven't done such a great job. God, we pray today that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the character, and that you would give us the strength and the ability to walk in the fatherhood that you've called us to. That we would be the husbands that you've called us to be. That we would be the dads that you've called us to be. That we would be the children of God that you've called us to be. God, there's some of us here this morning, we've been affected by bad relationships with our parents, with our fathers. And God, this morning, as nothing else, Lord, we wanted to speak restoration into relationships. God, but we also ask that you give us the ability to see beyond the hurt and the pain of things that happened to us with our earthly fathers, God, that we can see truly who you are and the father that you want to be to us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you're going to do exceedingly abundantly in our lives. And we thank you for that. God, we just pray that you would raise us up to be men of character and men of integrity. Righteous men who love you. And this morning, before we before we close, if 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 you find yourself this morning, and maybe you say like, "Hey, you know what?" As I've self evaluated, I think I've kind of been a crummy parent. I think I could do a much better job. I think I need to do a much better job. I've already. Ask this morning that you would just, uh, and you want to do better. Ask that you slip your hand up really quick as a sign between you and God that you say, God, I'm going to be the dad that you've called me to be. God, I'm going to go beyond, over and beyond. I want to be the man that you called me to be and be the father that you called me to be. Maybe I think I've done a great job, but God, I know I can do better and I want to do better. Some hands that have already gone up. I raise my hand to you this morning and say, God, make me a better husband. Make me a better father. Maybe there, some of you are here this morning and you've been hurt by a relationship with your dad. And sometimes it's hard to really kind of move past that into your relationship with God. If you're here this morning and that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. Just slip up your hand too this morning as a, as a sign of God and say, God, I surrender this hurt. God, I surrender this pain. 
Lord, I, I let it go. You're, you're, as Jesus said, to take my yoke, for it is easy. So we take our burdens and we give them to him, and he replaces them with love and with mercy. Father God, you saw every hand that was raised this morning. God, for those who, who, who've had a difficult past with their relationships with their fathers this morning that, that raised their hand. God, I pray, Lord, that you would restore those relationships. God, that you would even now speak to those fathers. God, if they're still here on earth, Lord, and that they would begin to, to seek reconciliation, they would begin to seek change, Lord, that there would be some things that would, that would change in those relationships. But God, for those that are here this morning that are in that uh, predicament, God, I pray this morning that they would see you as their loving, heavenly father that has nothing but the best for them. That God, that all the things that we do as as humans to one another and that our fathers have done to them, Lord, that have caused hurt and that have caused pain. This morning, God, I pray that you would replace that in their hearts and in their lives with the love that only our heavenly father can fill that void. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to help them walk through and to learn to trust you for the Father that you are. God, for those of us dads this morning, God, I pray that you would make us better. God, that you would give us courage and strength to face the new challenges that this world continues to present us with. God, that we would, first of all, be better husbands. God, that we would love our wives as you've loved the church, as you've commanded us to do. God, that we, would, that we would become all that we need to be in the life of our wives. And God, that we would lead our homes as righteous men, full of love and full of mercy and full of grace. God, that we would truly be who you've called us to be. And God, this morning I pray for our church. God, that you would let us be a light of love and of mercy and of grace. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would collectively get off that, that, that awful bench of toleration. And that God, that we would begin to infect this community with hope and with love and with righteousness and with mercy and with grace. And God, not for our glory, Lord, but because you've called us to this time, to this season, and to this place. And God, we We claim this community right now for Jesus Christ. Lord, that through this church, that through today right now, that we are going to begin afresh and anew, and God, we're going to change things in our area because that's what you've called us to do. And God, we're going to be like Joseph. And when you call, we're going to move. And we thank you for all that you're doing. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.